Welcome to Disruptive Narratives. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Lewis. In these episodes, we will be highlighting people who are impacted by histories and systemic processes of neglect and disinvestment, but do not often have a seat at the table and may not feel seen. This is a space for people radically reimagining a path forward, but not necessarily a space for those who are unpersuaded by the need for a better world where Black futures matter. We are focused on sharing perspectives that are often unshared or unheard because they challenge what we think we know. In this program, guests are the experts of their own reality. Genesea Williams is the owner of Genesea Doing Things, a design and strategy firm focused on solutions for nonprofits, small businesses, artists, and individuals. Genesea's approach reflects the resilience she learned from her community. Genesee is from the South Side of Chicago, fourth generation and a grandchild of the Great Migration. Firmly rooted in the history, culture, and Black-centered identity given to her from her hometown, Genesee carries this perspective forward in her work in the Twin Cities with small businesses, artists, and individuals committed to creating change. Um, I'm super excited because I also have the honor of being in space with you um, in the Black Community Trust Fund Project. And for folks that are unaware, the Black Community Trust Fund project came about after Nexus Community Partners sought to be a steward organization for what is now called the Open Road Fund to provide a return on the investment Black folks have long made to the United States and to challenge the system of rules that robs Black people and communities of the wealth they create from slavery and Jim Crow to redlining and police brutality. Nexus will provide this return on investment through the redistribution of the $50 million open road fund directly to Black folks who identify as descendants of formerly enslaved African people, including individuals who experience or are descendants of Black families experience redlining, Jim Crow, et cetera. This will happen over eight years with roughly 100 families receiving the award each year. And the primary goal of the Open Road Fund is to enable Black individuals, families, and communities across North Dakota, South Dakota, and Minnesota to build long-lasting intergenerational wealth. What's the connection between, for you, who you believe the fund is for? Mm -hmm in different points in your life where you would have needed this fund. <laughs> and you might need it right now. So, I mean, just let me put that back. Let me rephrase that. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Because I think there's also this illusion that because you're an entrepreneur that maybe you do or don't need it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I want you to name that. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Happily. Happily name yeah. and dispel that. So who needs it? Who needs who the needs fund? Um, I need it still. Mm-hmm. Cause I work every day, and uh, you know these these bills still are coming. Um, that's interesting because, like, yes, I am. So I am in a season of getting money. I don't have money. Ooh, say more. I I still consider myself working class, and I can tell you my tax bracket has changed. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of zeros in my, you know, what I. I'm sending to H&R Block okay. so they can tell me how much I owe the the IRS, right? Like, or, what, or whatever, right? Like, but this is such a new thing. It's such an unprecedented thing in my life. I'm essentially having the experience of like what it would look like if we had a thriving wage. 
Mm. And maybe a little more than that. I don't want to understate, but you know what I'm saying? Like I'm essentially having the experience of like, oh, what does it look like when I when paying my rent is a foregone conclusion? Mm. That's the experience that I'm having. I, I still have not, you know, like I'm still waiting to get flued out. Like I, I can't just like hop off, you know, like hop off into the wind. Like I need, you know, I still have to plan. So, yeah, like, yes, I'm an entrepreneur. Yes, things are going well. I'm super grateful for that. Um, But like, yeah, no, I still consider myself working class because um I don't own anything. Mm. Like many of us, I have student debt, which, you know, is its own problem. But um. You know, so it's like, I don't, I haven't gotten there yet. I still have a bunch of work to do. Mm. Um, and if one or too many things changes, I have, I, I am essentially back where I was. Mm. And that's with many, many things going well. Right. Um, and many, many, much progress and things that I get excited about. Right. Like that I'm still excited about. So like who needs the fun? First of all, all black people need the fund Mm -hmm. and specifically I think with the with the specificity Mm -hmm. of it being for black people who have survived this unspeakable thing Mm -hmm. and are in these lands right Um, but people like my cousin needed people like my friend who has a lot of community visibility and is still paying for lupus treatments out of pocket. Mm. People like my auntie, people like my mama, mm. like black women and girls and, and other black people, of course, like not to be, you know, excluding of black men in any way um, as far as like eligibility and need for the funds. But what I know and what I see around the ways that black women consistently show up in the ways that that support is not readily available Mm -hmm. for us. And if it is available, it's not adequate, Mm -hmm. right? Like you can get help from the state, but it's never enough, right? Like people talk about that. Oh, well, they can just, yeah, okay. But it's not enough. Not enough. And it never has been. So um, we need direct support. And this is something that offers that. And offers and, and is and is attempting to offer it with relatively open hands. In your experience in the workforce and leading in community, what is the resistance to giving direct support? Yeah, people. Well, I, the first thing that usually comes up is, as I just heard it put recently, people's bad habits. Mm. We still exist very much in a culture and society and in a class conversation that holds the people experiencing poverty or beset by poverty as being responsible for Mm -hmm. the circumstances of their lives. When we know poverty is a systemic problem, we know poverty is a policy Mm -hmm. problem. Like we know that. And yet there's this moralizing around how people use their resources. And it's a moralizing that comes from the people who stole the resources in the first place. Mm. So that is the first thing that comes up. Well, what are they going to do with it? Mm-hmm. I had this experience, and, and I'm going to say this just to illustrate this point, not to like, yeah, to illustrate this point. And normally I would not, normally I would not 
say this kind of thing, but I ran into this um, person at the gas station and clearly that person was going through something that day. And they, from what my experience tells me, needed some help. They needed something. Um, they they were probably unhoused or in between places or this or that, right? Like, mm-hmm. I can see this based on what I know about the world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what I've experienced and even being unhoused myself, right? Like, at times. Mm-hmm. So I went to go, I happened to be at the gas station. They happened to be at the gas station. I went into the gas station. Mm-hmm. I said, hey, can I ask you a question? Do you need anything? And at first they were like, um, who are you? Mm-hmm. You know? And I was like, do you need anything? What do you mean? Like, do I need, like, what? And I was like, do you need, would you like anything out of the gas? Like, is there anything mm-hmm. that I could do? I was coming in to get my gas. Um, but I just wanted to, I saw you and I just wanted to check. And they were like, well, you know, actually I really could just use like some cash so I could get some real food, not this food that's in here. Mm. So what did I do? I I gave them cat like mm-hmm. ATM was right there. The universe had decided. Okay. We were having this conversation. It's ATM right there. Mm. And I started to pull out, you know, a 20 for me and a 20 for that. And I was like, because mm, I can just go use my card outside. Let me just go ahead and give them this cash. It was in my it was spirit said to do it. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna do it. And honestly. If the $40 goes to the thing that's maybe not the healthiest overall, but gets them through this moment, mm-hmm. that's not my business or my place to say or to dictate. Mm-hmm. And I don't care. Right. It's also uh, similarly, it's like um, in understanding reproductive justice. Right. Mm-hmm. I've always been it's not my story to tell why I'm pro-choice, but I can tell you I remember a story when I was young. And it was told to me about why a person chose to end a pregnancy. And it made sense to me, Mm -hmm. even even being really young. And so despite a lot of other conditioning, um, I've always been pretty neutral about the subject. I'm like, people got to do what they got to do, right? Mm -hmm. But what I have learned in understanding reproductive justice is it's it's not simply the neutrality. It is also being clearly in support of that helps move us toward justice right Mm -hmm. like okay you get it for whatever reason if that's what you need to do let's do it and learning how to be pro Mm -hmm. um you know or in understanding sex work or understanding right learning how to not just be like they're going to use it on what they need they're Mm -hmm. just doing what they and just saying like it's valid it's Mm -hmm. these experiences are valid and it's not ours to say what's valid in a person's life or not and so returning to the question of of direct support and why people struggle with that. Well, what are they going to do with it? They're going to do whatever they need to do. And it's not your place to say what that looks like. That part. And what we know and what research has shown us is that people are going to do all the good things that people think that they won't do. But that it also doesn't matter if they don't do it perfectly. They need the support regardless. And people really struggle with that. It's also like the whole thing where like it's some people that like they're used to eating every day, so they never think about it. And when you sit in conversations with people like that and that's not your experience, 
And they're like, well, what should we do? And that's why I became the Give a Money Girl, right? Mm-hmm. Like in that, you know, in that one yeah. setting. When you've experienced instability, whether it's in housing or access to resources, what would you, what did you need the most? If someone would have came up to you like you did at that gas station, what would you have said you needed? It's different in different times, but I think that without being too abstract, I think regular support that you can count on and expect. A lot of times there are resources, you get the one-time help, you get the help annually, you get the help, but then you can't get the help again for three or four years. But the consistency tends to make the difference over time. The consistency tends to help you not slip through the cracks Mm -hmm. just for an easy image, right? Like, so I would say it has what, what specifically has been needed has varied in the situation. Sometimes it is housing, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes it is cash. Sometimes it's gas. Many times it's food. Mm -hmm. Um, And the consistency of support, the ability to depend on some resource is a thing that makes the difference. A debate that has been had in the Black Community Trust Fund space is about the difference between funding a crisis versus helping folks build steps to our kind of grandiose notion of where Black wealth needs Mm -hmm. to to take us. Mm -hmm. This is Disruptive Narratives. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Lewis. Disruptive Narratives is a co-production of Camo J and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities, with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. How would you describe who the fund literally is for, what it can resource, or what you hope it will be able to resource? So um, folks are going to have, you know, their attitudes related to their experiences. Um, And even some folks who are you know who have experienced not eating every day but they eat now are also some of those people that will be like mm-hmm. you know and I will say to that like maybe don't be a bootlicker like don't do it like have a little class solidarity like a <laughs> little awareness I'm joking <laughs> a little bit um but I always want us to have you know awareness right and we're all having we're all navigating this and learning different things but um I would say paying rent is absolutely it. Like, I don't know how, like, there's no way for me to skirt around, like, how um, important that kind of support is and will be. Mm -hmm. But I think the main thing, and this goes back to the statement, and this goes back to the intent, and this goes back to um, the systems that we're working to dismantle, is about people being able to decide what is important to them in proportion and in response to their life. Mm -hmm. And that's really the point at the end of the day. 
And the more that we can grasp that people's agency, mm-hmm. people's ability to choose for themselves mm-hmm. is more important than what we think they should be doing. The more that we can embrace that, the more successful this fight for liberation will be. Right. So that at the end of the day is the point. And if people can get that one salient point and hold that, then they can endeavor to mind their own business. Right. Like, you know, yeah. we have to do that. We have to give each other that space. Um, we can't also be policing what happens in other people's lives because we took a class and we know, you know, I don't know something about credit cards or whatever. I was going to name one, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> so <laughs> this kind of co- what comes up for me hearing you reiterate what the real point is mm. and how hard that will be for some folks mm. to navigate. Um, I, I'm thinking about a brief debate that we had in space around the word excellence and black excellence. Mm, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I would love to talk about this debate because yeah. um, the debate happened in the council space. And we also had um, the black staff at Research in Action got together separately mm. to have this conversation. Mm, mm-hmm. And I also learned there's a huge generational. Yeah, uh, absolutely different understanding of this phrase. I was actually shocked to hear most of my staff say a very different understanding yeah. of this phrase. Yeah. Um, so I guess I want to have you give us a context. What is the debate? How did we resolve it? Yeah. Um, because I think in this idea around what the point is, mm-hmm. right, this wording or this phrasing is kind mm-hmm. of interlaced into that. Yeah. So it 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 was it was interesting because I had not considered the the generational lines like the way that the conversation happened around around the generational lines. So we did have black excellence as a part of the definition mm-hmm. and the and the phrase black excellence and specifically the use of excellence was a sticking point um for some folks and not others. Mm-hmm. That's the shortest way to <laughs> describe, you know, the context or the framework of the debate. And we did find, yeah, that the younger folks were like, yeah, mm, yeah. it's giving, yes. it's giving respectability politics. Very much so. No, thank you. And the the folks who were in other generations were like, yeah, but like, that was really helpful and meaningful for us when we were growing up. Mm-hmm. So we actually don't have to get rid of it. Um, I think, I, I, I don't remember the exact resolution. I want to say, I think we decided to keep it mm-hmm. to honor the depth of the term. And how layered it is and how this is meant to be intergenerational and multi-generational work and to benefit people Mm -hmm. along those lines. And so in hearing from and listening to our our elders and our folks on the other generational line, I'm in an in-between, I think, generation. 
right, where it could go either way for me. Because like when the younger folks said it, I was like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. it's giving. Um, <laughs> but then when, I, you know, when the wisdom came back, I was like, yeah, yeah, because, yeah, you do have to be twice as good to get half as far. Like, dang, yeah. <laughs> so I was holding. I think I was just holding all of it. And so I think in the end, we did decide to keep it to honor because the younger people hadn't thought of it that way. Mm-mm. Right. And that had not been their experience with the with the idea of black excellence. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we managed to really like. Hold each other in in care and in consideration. Um, for my part, personally, okay. <laughs> I um. I tend to side with the younger folks only because language is a living entity and the context in which we use things is going to change with the context and circumstances of our lives and experience. And as we move into a world that is more full, that has more perspectives, language is Questioning the language that we use is a big part of that. Words mean things. Mm -hmm. So just like we are all like working to learn how to respect people's pronouns and other identity things. We also have to learn to hold and critique our old um, adages like just because we said it, just because it might have been true. That don't mean we got to keep using it now. There's a different ways to organize life and organize our world and to have something that's more expansive. Existing alongside that, we work really hard to create our context and to create a framework for living and existing and sharing community that really doesn't need to be subject to how other people are the the systems that may be impacting what we do with it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so when our elders are saying this has meaning, I think holding that is appropriate. And so we did that. This is Disruptive Narratives. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Lewis. Disruptive Narratives is a co-production of Camo J and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Um, I think I said in the conversation that what what our what our elders were saying made sense to me because of the way that I hold the term hustle. Mm. Right? We have all this like we need to rest and like that's scholarship and thought that's coming from black women that's coming from Black queer folks that's coming from people that are on the margins saying, like, we got we got to rest. Right. Mm-hmm. And now the other cultures are like, hey, everyone, we're going to rest. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we're not going to do hustle culture anymore. And it's like, yeah, y'all, but y'all created it. So, like, y'all can't just come and tell us we can't do it. But I also like while I am learning to prioritize rest and to hold that as resistance. Right. In the way that many, many of our voices are saying. voices from from communities that I'm in are saying, I also am not going to allow people to push back against the word that has described the ingenuity of the Mm -hmm. people that I come from. Because that's why I started doing what I do. It is all the strength of those people. Mm -hmm. If we don't have it, we make it. That's where I come from. 
Right. So you do have to hold those things, you know, in tension with each other. And language has to be agile. Mm. Right. Yes. So for some of us, when we talk about black excellence, we are not going to talk. We are going to talk about it and hold critique. But we can also hold the knowledge and things from the standpoint of the experience of those who came before us. And the last thing I'll say about that is context is important. Historical context is important. When a lot of our elders were coming in, the idea of us being excellent was as unheard of as the conversation around direct support mm-hmm. or basic universal basic income or things like that. Like people were just like, what do you mean black people like can be excellent? And it's like we already knew. Mm-hmm. So to brand that, to do some community branding and say, nope, this is what this is what we present. Mm-hmm. This is what we have. This is what we do. This is what we aspire to because we know what we're capable of bringing. Um. And the ways that that's been co-opted and used for respectability politics, those are two different things. Like that part. Right. The origin or the genesis of it in a place where black people's humanity was consistently. On like people consistently denying us our humanity. Mm-hmm. Right. Like to say, hey, nope, not only are we human, but we're also excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, I was talking with my previous boss and I was trained by OG black ladies in the admin and operations arts. Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And so that is to say I was trained by those women. That's the way that I was trained. So when I went to go establish processes in this office, um, I was building on some work by another woman of color and then I took it and did what I do with it. Mm-hmm. And everyone, oh, my God, Genesia, you are so wonderful. Oh, my God. Like, what would we do if we didn't have a Genesia? Mm-hmm. Hmm. And I was like, yep, what I need you to understand is I come from an entire community mm-hmm. where this is the norm. Y'all just aren't used to seeing more than one of us at a time. Mm-hmm. So please be aware of that when you want to do additional hiring. Like, that just part. go ahead and be aware of that. Um, so anyways, that was, that's what I got. That's what I got. Okay. All right. So <laughs> in real time, yes. you are right to say the group agreed to add excellence back in. Yes. We have done it. And I'm going to read to you the one part <laughs> where it is now back in okay. the definition. And yeah. I want your reaction to it. Okay. Awesome. Black wealth is, but is not limited to healing from over centuries of labor and livelihood stolen from us on this stolen land. Black wealth is owning what we produce. Black wealth is building and inventing for our families and community. Black wealth is a creative and sovereign practice of restoration that affirms the excellence that has always been in us. People are having to build structures that they're being shut out of, shut out of. And are building them better than what what they're being shut out of. Like you get mm-hmm. like I hear you. And so that knowledge is there, that wisdom is there. And so I respect that we put back the term and I appreciate the way we put it because again, it gives an agility to it. Mm-hmm. It gives a, an agility to the phrase that um allows us to grow and to hold each other without throwing respectability politics 
without throwing mm-hmm. these other structural things. It allows us to hold each other in the complexity and nuances of our lives. To hear our full conversation, visit camojfm.com. Disruptive Narratives is a production of Camel J Radio and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities. Made with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Hosted by Dr. Brittany Lewis. Produced by Miranda Wilson. Edited by Abdi Mohammed. Music by Jerome Rankin. Thank you.